omniscient. And in the study this evening, we want to look at different aspects or facets of God's omniscience. So we're going to begin with God's omniscience overall, God's omniscience towards man, and third, God's omniscient and man's response. So let's begin with God's omniscience overall. Um, omniscient is defined as the state of having total knowledge, the quality of knowing everything. For God to be sovereign over all his creation, of all things, whether visible or invisible, he has to have all knowledge. God is the only one who possesses limitless. You and I have limited knowledge, but he has limitless knowledge. Um, No fact can be hidden from God. God sees all things. Nothing can be hidden from his knowledge, not even the secret intentions of the heart. In Psalms 44, verse 21, it tells us, Would not God search this out? For he knows the secrets of the heart. He knows every detail about us. He knows the secrets of our heart. His omniscience is from finite to infinite. He knows all events, all creatures of the past, the present, and the future. He is, a perf- he is perfectly acquainted with every detail in the life of every being in heaven, in earth, and in hell. Hebrews 4.13 tells us, And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him who must give account. Everything is naked and open before him. In Psalms 147, verse 5, it says, Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding, that word understanding means his intelligence or his knowledge is beyond measure. How do you wrap your mind around something like that? Have you ever been around smart people? You're just like, oh, my gosh, this person's way over my... I don't even know what they're talking about sometimes. But I think about God's knowledge, his omniscience, beyond anything you and I could even comprehend. The psalmist states it a little better than this. He says in Psalms 139, verse 6, Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. The psalmist says, Wow. Wow. What subject do you think you know so much about? Whatever you think your knowledge about, you're not. Not at all. Shakespeare said, man, poor man, ignorant at what he knows best. It's true. It is absolutely true. Our God's knowledge is perfect. He never errs, never changes, and he never overlooks anything. You and I can do something, and we can do it pretty well. But how many times do we overlook? Oh, I forgot about that. You know, Karen and I sometimes get together and we do um, these certain cakes, whether it's a wedding cake or something like that. And I'm telling you, we have to bounce it off on each of us because I'm telling you, it's like we're working with a half a brain and we have a whole brain when we can work together. Because what one doesn't think of, the other one does. Thank God. But God never errs. He never changes. He never overlooks anything. In Romans 11, verse 33 through 36, it says, Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has become his counselor or who has first given to him and it shall be repaid to him? For of him and through him and to him all things to whom belong glory forever and ever. The depths of his wisdom, the depth of his knowledge. Colossians um, chapter 2 verse 3 tells us, In Christ 
are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. What do you need to know about? What are you searching for? Go to the word of God. God will instruct you. God will teach you. I was listening to a devotion tonight about a mom dealing with different issues. God is so faithful. He is incredibly faithful. I, as a mom, when I was having my children, was not raised in the Lord. But God was faithful to pour his wisdom into me as I went to the word. He instructs. He teaches. He guides. He is so faithful if we will go to him. In Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. God is never surprised so that he must react uh, to un. Anticipated circumstances. Neither is God forced to change his mind about his reasons or his plans. There are situations where we are forced to change our plans because of unexpected conditions or events. Never happens with God because he knows all. We serve a God who is never wrong. How wonderful is that? Sometimes I'll tell Xavier, how does it feel to be right all the time, huh? Because it seems like he always is, but he's not. He's not. God is never wrong. He is right all the time. He does not alter his plans for eternity. He does not get confused about his design, his pleasure, or his purpose. In Psalms 135, verse 6, it says, Whatever the Lord pleases, he does, in heaven and in earth, in the seas and all the deep places. Whatever he does, it pleases him because he has all knowledge. You know, Solomon could do a lot of things, but he didn't have a lot of knowledge. And so it brought hurt and harm to his life. His decisions, speaking of God, are unchangeable and without confusion. His specific will and pleasure are always implemented. In 1 Corinthians 14, verse 33, For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, all due to his omniscience. There is none like our God. In Psalms 33, verse 11 says, The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generation. Before the world was created, he was there. His wisdom was there. Before the creation of the world, when the, when the first man was created, his wisdom was there. To this day, his wisdom, his knowledge has not changed Hebrews 6, verse 17 says, Thus God, determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel. Immutability means fixed, not altered. You and I may counsel an individual and find out later that that counsel was all wrong because we had misinformation. God never has misinformation. He is all wise. He knows all. We see his omniscience over creation. In Acts 15, verse 18, it says, No unto God are all his works from the beginning of the world. God's omniscient demands that God created only that which is absolutely best, whether on the scale of the universe or the scale of a molecule. It was absolutely perfect. It was best. God knows all and knows all what is best. He therefore does what is best. An omniscient God could not do anything otherwise. He could only do the absolute best. Um, There aren't any flaws in his creation. Uh, He must create and make only that which is good. 
It is no accident or verbal exaggeration in Genesis chapter 1, which repeats the statement, and God saw that it was good. If you look at Genesis 1, how many times do we read that? And God saw that it was good. When you look at the heavens as a part of his creation, it states in Psalms 19 verses 1 through 4, the heavens declared the glory of God and the firmament show his handiwork. Day unto day utters speech and night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. The line has gone out through all the earth and the worlds to the end of the world. In them, he has set the tabernacle or he set the tabernacle for the sun. It was God's omniscience, his knowledge. He declares his handiwork as we look to the heavens. One commentator stated, the psalmist reveals the heavens where there are millions of luminaries, which declares God's wisdom, power, and glory. Listen to Psalms 147 verses 4 and 5. It states, he counts the number of the stars. He counts them all by name. Great is our Lord and mighty in his power. His understanding is infinite. Imagine God not only knows how many stars are in the universe, but he knows them all by name. Some of us in our groups can't remember the names of the girls sitting next to us. Isn't that true? And the older I get, the worse it gets. Thank God for name tags, huh? But you know what? There's not a name tag on the stars. God knows them all by name. An Australian study a few years ago uh, put the number of stars we can set at 70,000 million upon million upon million. Or another way to remember it is the number 70 followed by 22 zeros. That's how many stars are in the heavens that we know of. And he knows them all by name. Wow. Wow. Uh, You and I can't even uh, remember names, like I said. Uh, The extreme complex nature of the universe has been more observable over the past few decades over the vast majesty of the stellar host to the microscopic beauty of living things. We are becoming more and more aware of the incredible design, order, and interrelated purpose of our world, making us aware of how little we really know. So much wisdom, so much knowledge. There's so much that you and I have no clue about. I think about even our human body. There's so much we don't know about our body. You know, we go to the doctors and we expect the doctors to know everything and fix us. But there's so much they don't know. Doesn't scripture say in Psalms 139 verse 14, I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works and that my soul knows very well. We are a marvelous machine. We don't even, they don't even understand how we all work together, how it all works um, at the end of the sixth and final day of God's creation, we read in Genesis 1.31, and God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. It wasn't just good. It was very good. Not, oops, I meant to do this. Um, let me switch that around. But it was very good. When my grandson was in the sixth grade, um, his teacher was attempting to teach creation through a secular science book, because her intention was that these children need to know how to defend the faith. So she brought in a secular science book and was going to use the word of God. Well, um, somehow the teacher lost her way and ended up uniting secular science with the Bible. 
And if you know anything about secular science and the Bible, they don't work together. And she began to tell her students that when Adam was formed, that he was kind of hunched over. And he really didn't have a vocabulary. And I love it. My grandson raised his hand. He said, well, how did he name all the animals? How did he have a, how did he have a conversation with God? You know, this teacher didn't like that very well. Through a period of time, my daughter and the teacher went toe-to-toe. But you know, you either believe God's word for what it says, or you don't. That's the bottom line. God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. Remember, he must create and make only that which is good. There is no way the believer can uh, believe that we evolved from a gobbledygook or that we came from a monkey. There's no way. If you read Genesis chapter 1, there's no way you could believe that, that lie. Man was made in the image of God, and I believe Adam was very good. I believe he was probably the most handsome man in the world. I think he was probably gorgeous. I think Eve was beautiful, probably. Still looking to God's creation, he is aware of all his creatures. In Matthew 6, verse 26, it says, Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into the barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Listen to how God feeds the birds of the air. God gave birds special tools to gather their food. Wood warbles have long, thin beaks for spearing up insects from among leaves on the ground. Swallows have wide mouths surrounded by bristles that help them catch flying insects. Sparrows and fitches have feet that are especially made to scratch for seed. A sparrow can hop up and down and scratch with both feet at once. Cardinals and blue jays have short spout bills for cracking hard seeds. He creates and makes only that which is good. This is how your heavenly father feeds the birds of the air. Jesus said in Matthew 10:29, "Are not two sparrows sold for a penny?" And not one of them falls to the ground without your father's will. Without your father, the scripture says, this is God your father guides and directs its fall. It falls only with his permission and where he chooses. What kind of knowledge is that? Is that awesome? It is just awesome to think about. I find myself all the time watching National Geographic, uh, the Animal Channel, the Discovery Channel. I, I love watching all the different animals and how they were, how, well, I, you can't watch how they believe they were created because they all evolved, of course. And they're always still evolving, of course. But I love it because just the mass of animals to the smallest little tiny microscopic animal and how God has created them to live in certain terrains. There's no way. I mean, it's just, how do you, my mind explodes. I love watching those programs. Our God is omniscient, and there is none like him. In your homework, you were asked to look at Job 38, because Job was speaking without knowledge and comes under um, question by God. In this chapter, Job is asked a series of questions by God about his creation, questions that today still cannot be answered. Uh, questions uh, such as in Job 38, verses 4 through 6, God says, Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determines its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? To what were its foundations fastened? Or who laid its cornerstone? Job couldn't answer any of those questions. 
We today can't answer those questions. We're told in Isaiah 40, verses 13 through 14, who has directed the spirit of the Lord or as his counselor has taught him? With whom did he take counsel and who instructed him and taught him in the path of justice? Who taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? God knows everything. Everything. Job 21 verse 22 states, Can anyone teach God since he judges those from high? We're going to school God? I don't think so. There's no way we're going to school God. There is none like him. In Isaiah 46, verses 9 and 10, we're told, I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand, and I will do my pleasure. He knows the end from the beginning. He knows the future. In Isaiah 41, verse 22, it says, let them bring forth and show us what will happen? Let them show the former things what they were, that we may consider them and know the latter end of them or declare to us things to come. God knows the future. You remember in Jeremiah, he was given a grim task of telling Judah's future, how, how they were going to be destroyed and taken captive, and they didn't listen to him. They didn't listen to him. And exactly what Jeremiah told Judah took place. You'll remember Paul. From the beginning, he was called. From the beginning of his ministry, he was called to suffer. In Acts 9, verses 15 through 16, it says, The Lord said unto Ananias, Go, for Paul is is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him many things he must suffer for my name's sake. God had told him. He was going to go before the kings. God had told him he was going to go before the Gentiles. God had told him he was going to go before Israel. And God told him he will suffer many things. And all that God had told them came to pass. God's knowledge of the future is seen in Isaiah 46, verse 11, when it states, Indeed, I have spoken it, and I will also bring it to pass. I purposed it, and I will do it. When God says it, you can take it to the bank. It's going to happen. Today we are facing critical days as we are watching prophecy be fulfilled, which many of us have known. I know that when, as a young Christian, um, they had shared shared with me about the rapture and the second coming. They had shared about the mark of the beast and um, how if you take that mark, you can't buy or sell. It tells us in the book of Revelations. Well, somebody just sent me a video about this gentleman um, doing this advertisement about how this new process they have, and they've done it with several people, about putting underneath your forehead and underneath the top of your skin how you can buy and you can sell and you can do all these things. Now, I know it's not the mark of the beast, but it's, in prepare, it's preparing for the mark of the beast. How much easier? They're going to look at you and say, what? why? Why don't you want to do this? Because we know what the word of God says. Mm-mm, not going to take that mark. But I remember thinking when I first heard it, this sounds like something out of a sci-fi These were future events that God told us. We never thought we would see it come to pass. I never thought it would come to fruition. But God knows the future, and he shares the future with us. Um, God says that when he returns, it will be as in the days of Noah. People are partying and marrying and doing all types of things. Isn't that what we see today? Even in the church, hearts have grown cold. 
Didn't Jesus say hearts would be like, would wax cold? That's what we're seeing today, like never before. God is aware of everything that will occur until the end of history itself. As we look briefly at God's omniscient of his knowledge, of his creation, and of the future, now let's look at, look at the time, uh, God's omniscience towards man. God knew us before we were in the womb. In Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Wow, isn't that awesome to think about? He saw us in the womb in Psalms 139, verses 15 and 16. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. And in your book, they were all written. The days fashioned for me when when as yet uh, there were none of them. Even in as we were being formed, God was aware. He knows each and every one of us personally. In Psalms 39, verses 1 through 3, O oh Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know my, uh, my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thoughts afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down. You are acquainted with all my ways. He knows our good habits, our bad habits. We knows when we get our tongue gets, uh, gets us in trouble. He knows everything about us. God knows also the heart of man. In 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 39, it tells us, You alone know the hearts of all the sons of men. Of all, not just King Solomon, not just David, not just Paul, but he knows all the sons of men. God told Samuel the prophet in 1 Samuel 16, verse 7, For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. He knows our heart. He knows what's going on in here. Um, he knows how destructive our heart can be in Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. For the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. He knows how bad we can be. And he also knows how good we can be. The first prayer of the apostles in Acts chapter 1, verse 24 states, Lord, you know the hearts of all. God also knows our very thoughts even before we speak forth. Nothing can be concealed from God. In Ezekiel 11, verse 5, it says, For I know the things that come into your mind. That's why it's important to bring those thoughts captive. He knows what comes into our mind. He knows what you're dwelling upon. In Psalms 94, verse 11, it says, The Lord knows the thoughts of man. And in Psalm, uh, the psalmist states in Psalms 139, verse 4, for there is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. I will never forget years ago as a young Christian, someone gave me um, a plaque that, went in that, that you could hang. And it said, he is the silent listener of every conversation. I go, if that doesn't cause you to just like, behave, don't you say it. Don't even, don't even think it. In many gospel accounts, Jesus knew the thoughts of his audience. In Matthew 9, verse 4, Jesus knowing their thoughts. In Matthew 12, 25, but Jesus knew their thoughts. As Jesus talked with the religious leaders, we're told in Mark 2, verses uh, 6 through 8, and some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they were reasoning thus within themselves, he said to them, why do you reason about these things in your hearts? He knows. 
He knows what we're thinking. You know, uh, there's sometimes, um, there's a new commercial, and it had to do with dating or something, um, uh, online dating or something like that. But anyway, they go to this date, and they're already saying what they're thinking. And in the commercial, it says, don't you wish you knew what people were thinking? And I thought to myself, no. Mm-mm, I don't want to know what certain people are thinking. No thanks. Keep it to yourself. <laughs> Jesus is always aware of what is on our heart and in our mind. He's aware of the of the events that will take place. Um, he told his disciples that he knew Nathan, he knew Nathan uh, Nathaniel before ever meeting him in John chapter one verses forty seven and forty eight. He also tells his disciples that their friend Lazarus uh, was dead. And they were 25 miles away. There was no telephone. There was no cell phone. There was nothing. He told his disciples already. Uh, Jesus advised the disciples to go, make, to go and make preparation for the Lord's Supper, describing the person they were to meet and to follow them in Mark 14. We must understand that there are no secrets from God. If he knows our heart and he knows our thoughts and, um, and the events that will take place, then, ladies, he knows our sins. Jesus knew about people's lives before he had ever met them. When he met the woman at the well, he told her in John 4, verse 18, you have had five husbands, and the man that you're living with right now is not your husband. He knew all about her. Um, no human eye saw the murder of Abel by Cain, but it was not concealed from God. Sarah laughed to herself at the thought of having a child, but God was fully aware of how she laughed. Achan stole the garments and gold and hid them from all except from God. God was aware. What sin do we think we can get away with that that we think he doesn't know about? He knows all. He knows everything. Man is oblivious to God's knowledge of them. In Hosea chapter 7, verse 2, it says, They do not consider in their hearts that I remember all their wickedness. Now their own deeds have surrounded them. They are before my face. I look at the perversion going on um, today. Man is brazen. He's unashamed in his behavior. I wonder how close we really are to the second coming. In Psalms 90, verse 8, you have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your countenance. Remember, sometimes God is described like this huge light. In that huge light, he sees all our sins. He's aware of all our sins. Um, Jesus, with full knowledge, understood why he came to the earth. Because of God's love to man, the scriptures reveal he emptied himself of God's glory to redeem man, which allowed him to identify with man. Jesus' death was prophesied 700 years prior to the actual event. Jesus' coming was not a happenstance. It was the result of a divine plan and the knowledge of God, which was set in place. We're told in Philippians 2, verses 6 through 11, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of man and being in the appearance uh, as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the death of the cross. In Hebrews 2, verse 17, therefore in all things he had to be made like his brethren that he might be merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make preparation preparation for the sins of my people. This is what he did on our account. 
um, listen to the Lord's omniscience of what he was fully aware of before all eternity as he emptied himself and became a man. In Isaiah 52, verse 14, it says, Just as many were astonished at you, so visage, uh, so his visage, speaking of his face, was marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of man. One translation reads it this way. Just as there were many who were appalled at him, meaning they were appalled when they looked at his sight. His appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any man, and his form marred beyond human likeness. Let me give you one more translation. As many were astonished at him, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond the sons of man. What he went through for you and I. And you know, when he came, he had full knowledge. He had full knowledge of what he would go through. You know, as a young Christian, I always disliked seeing movies of Jesus or pictures of Jesus on the cross because you'd see a little blood here, see a little blood here, and a little blood here, and a little blood on his, on his feet. Uh-uh. You could not identify him as a human being. Remember they took the cat of nine tails and they beat him? That cat of nine tails has, has a whip on it, and at the end of the whip, there's broken bones and glass, and it's tied to that whip. And as they beat him, his flesh was ripped open, um, exposing the sinews, exposing the muscles, exposing the bone. His flesh was just ripped open. Do you remember when the guards played the game and they put... Um, a covering over his face, and they began to punch him. Do you remember that? As you read that in the scriptures? You know, I was listening to this gentleman talk about when a boxer gets hit, a boxer can take that hit because he sees it coming and you prepare for it. But if you get hit and you don't expect it, that's when the boxers get hurt. I mean, really hurt. How many times did he get beat in the face and didn't expect it, and he felt the the whole force of that blow as he was beat. Amazing, just incredible what he went through for you and I. Think about when you and I are walking. I'm older now. You miss a curb. Oh, my gosh. Oh, 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 because I didn't see it. But if I see that same curb and I walk, not a problem. This is what Jesus went through for you and I. This is the full knowledge of what he knew about as he came to the earth for you and I. Um, what incredible lengths he has gone um, to fulfill his ministry in saving and redeeming you and I. Full knowledge of what went through. Again, I think of Psalms 144, verse 3. Lord, what is man that you take knowledge of him? It is God's desire that we enter into a personal relationship with him. 2 Corinthians 5, verses 19 and 21 tell us, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. There is none like our God. When you think about the gods, all the other gods around people worship, they have to pay homage. They have to pay. They have to do all the work. Jesus has done all the work. Lastly, let's look at God's omniscient and man's response. Um, God in his omniscient has done everything. The only thing left is for man to respond. Every one of us is given a choice. 
we decide what we will do with that knowledge that has been given to us concerning God. If we accept this incredible revelation or will we reject it? Um, You have all the freedom to make the choice that you decide. But ladies, you don't have the choice of what you will reap on that decision. But the warning to those who reject, reject such revelation will result in overwhelming judgment. Listen to Romans 1, verses 18 through 25. And we're told, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, because that they, because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and the Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Creation declares the glory of God. History declares the glory of God. Because all, because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God. Nor were they thankful, but became futile in their thoughts and in their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forevermore. What incredible judgment as we choose to to walk away from this wisdom that God has given. But we need to understand Ezekiel 33, verse 11, it says, As I live, saith the Lord, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked would turn. He says, why? Why won't you turn? In his omniscient, he foresaw our sin in all its ugliness, its depravity. Yet in love, he set his seal upon us, and he drew us to his love. Jeremiah tells us, I have loved you. God says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Wow, everlasting love. And with loving kindness, I have drawn you. First John chapter 1, verse 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of all unrighteousness. By this incredible act of love, we not only re- are redeemed, but we are adopted, we are strengthened, we are encouraged, and we are aided by the Holy Spirit. Um, His presence, his counsel, his mercy, his grace, his love, his hope, his patience abound in the believer. If we yield to God, if we walk with him, if we share intimate relationship with him. To those who accept on the basis of faith in God, we can rest secure in him, knowing that his promises never fail us as long as we continue in him. We must understand that God knows all. And the God whose ways are perfect has called us to trust in him, even when we don't understand. It's not for you to understand everything. He understands everything. Isaiah 55 verse 8 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. Of course our thoughts are not his thoughts. He is omniscient. Uh, He knows all. 
All God requires is our obedience. We are humbled by his omniscience. Remember, he is aware of every detail of our life. Doesn't Matthew 10, verse 30 tell us he knows how many hairs are upon our head? Every hair. I did a lot of cutting this week. But he still knows how many hairs are upon my head. What comfort in his omniscience when we are overcome with confusion? He states in Job 23, verse 10, but he knows the way that I take. When I don't understand, he understands the way that I should take. What comfort in his omniscience when overcome with weariness and weakness? And he states in Psalms 103, verse 14, for he knows our frame. He remembers that we are but dust. He knows how frail we are. He understands. What comfort in his omniscience when overcome with doubt and suspicion? He states in Psalms 139, verse 23 and 24, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties, and see if there's any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. What comfort in his omniscience when overcome with incredible failure? He states in Psalms 37, 24, and I love this verse. I cling to this verse. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down. For though the Lord upholds him with his right hand, you can fall as much as you want, but he holds you. He holds you in his hand. I love that. What situation in your life seems so out of control that you have not yet taken it to the Lord who is omniscient? Let's face it. There are times we do question God. God hasn't responded in the way that we think he should. But remember, we're limited in our knowledge. He is without limit regarding his knowledge. So when you think you should take things into your own hands and handle it, don't. Don't do it. You don't know what you're messing with. Always remember Job's word in Job 37, verse 16. He is perfect in knowledge. His knowledge is perfect regarding you, regarding your situation, whatever you're going through. That perfect knowledge knows everything that pertains to you and I. God in his omniscience is able to guide, instruct, encourage us through his knowledge. You know, um, I was just talking to somebody because of the, the devotion we had tonight about um, how important it is because we lack so much wisdom that we go to him, that we seek him because we are, we, we know so little and he knows so much. Through God's knowledge and power, he is able to work all things together for our good. If you've been a believer for any length of time, um, the more you learn of him, the more you are amazed at him and gain a greater appreciation. His omniscience is infinite. In Psalms 147, verse 5, Great is our Lord and mighty in his power. His understanding, speaking of his intellect and his knowledge, is infinite. One day we shall see him face to face, but our knowledge of him will never be complete. Our wonder, our love, our praise of him shall go on for all millennials, and we will bask in the rays of his heavenly love, learning and appreciating more and more of our omniscient God. Let's pray. Father, we come before you, Lord, and we just thank you for your grace, Lord. We thank you that you have called every one of us out of the darkness and into your marvelous light. And in that marvelous light, you have 
done away with every one of our sins. You have cleansed us. We are whiter than snow. God, we thank you that you sent your son to come and to die for every one of us. Lord, we thank you that no matter what we're faced with, you know about it. You're aware of it. Not anything that happens in our life, you're not aware. And so, for Lord, I ask that as we go through the difficult times in our life, that we will run to you, that we will cling to you, that we will seek your word and allow your word to give us wisdom in the midst of confusion, in the midst of doubt, in the midst of failure, in the midst of whatever we're facing, Lord, because you have the answer. You know all. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. God bless you, ladies.